0: <laughs> we did it That's
1: how we say hi in, uh, in our um, Evergrow meetings In
0: our chats, we just say buenas It's a, it's a leftover of Lisa. It's yeah. her permanent oh. mark on the company, I'd say
1: Yeah, I feel like Angie or Laura would have, would have continued it anyways Because I, th- I guess that's just the way that Hispanic people say
0: hi informally I don't know, though, so, because Angie said uh, like when we start our meetings now, I'll go buenas and she'll go, a- 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 you know, like she'll make it really cool. And then she'll go <laughs> hola. And then so she does mix it up a little bit. Oh. It's, it's kind of
1: cool. <laughs> I don't have my I don't have one on ones like you do. And I it makes me want to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I was. uh when, when uh, we were supposed to meet together and I was like, yeah, hey, hold on two minutes before recording the podcast. Uh, I was walking out to get coffee and then I came down stairs and my cat was just like standing by his bowl and looking at me. And he's like, dude, what the? <laughs> <laughs> feed me. <laughs> like, am I a joke to you? <laughs> I, felt, I was you like oh. you can just do this to me. I was like, sorry, man. I usually feed him at like 7 a.m. And uh, like 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. is usually when he gets his food. And uh, our podcast started at 10 a.m. So it's like th- he's like three hours. And he's like, am I going to eat or what? Like, what's going on today? <laughs> what kind of Friday is this for you? Yeah. Am, I like, am I a joke
0: to you? Did you have a cold open other than that? Or should we just jump nah, in? No, I really didn't. Man, let me think of something right now. Uh, I'm, I'm not a, good at this. I'm, a I'm terrible on the guy. spot.
1: I'm a French press guy now. I, 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 I brew my, yeah, I brew my coffee in the French press. Um, I've always wanted to because we have a bunch of Colombian coffee from when we went to Colombia, like even mm-hmm. like the whole beans and everything, but I've never wanted to grind them and put them in a drip coffee pot because it just felt, it felt dirty.
0: So <laughs> <It's> disrespectful. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so for Christmas, Lauren got me like a really nice French press and uh, I've been making coffee that way now and it's,
0: it's delightful. I also feel super fancy. It seems it looks fancy when you showed it to me. Yeah. I don't do I can't do coffee anymore though at this point. It messes me up too much. Yeah, so I don't have I that. I don't, gotta I limit it that. to tea. I don't have that
1: um that caffeine problem. Like yeah. I could drink a cup of coffee and go to bed. That's
0: the weird thing about uh buprofen or well is that I don't think enough people I don't think enough they're told or that they read the things because that's what I take for uh depression and like it messes you up if you do too much caffeine. Um, I remember mm. college the first time around. Um I took too much for the first time. And then I think it was the first time where I couldn't sleep for 24 hours, not by choice. Right. right. Like I'm just awake and like laying there and looking at the ceiling like, oh, OK, well. You're just like snorting your antidepressants. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a, it's a very rough combo. So even now, when I know that... I, if I'm, if I'm living dangerously and I know they have to stay up for a little bit, but I don't want to do it, you know, completely ruin my life. I'll say like I'm at Panda Express, right? I get I get Diet Coke. I fill up the cup halfway and then just take the L for how much I paid for it and accept that, okay, Cody, you can only drink half of this cup. Because if you drink the whole cup, you're not sleeping tonight.
1: Mm. Oh, well, I guess when you put it into perspective of like I'm on antidepressants and also can't do
0: caffeine i guess that makes more sense because i'm not yeah, and it's the amplifier sorry so. not, that was implied i do not think i said it clearly but it says that it's, it's like one of the moderate uh warnings it's not hey don't drink on this or you'll die um, oh it's, yeah don't take caffeine with this or your life's gonna be rough <laughs> yeah that should be the <laughs> label
1: i was on uh i was on one of the lo- labels that i really enjoyed i was in hubspot because i was looking at connecting stripe with hubspot because yeah, has the Okay, cool. So it has that connection, and I was like, "Well, cool. Can I put a payment on the on the quotes that I send to our clients, Mm -hmm. and then like just streamline that process so then we don't have to generate an invoice in Stripe and blah blah blah." Yep, Um, sense. So we can if we pay for like their operations Hub Starter, which is like forty five bucks a month. And I am like, yeah, yeah, not quite. Uh, I don't really care about that quite yet. Um, But uh, once we have like forty five bucks a month, like once it's saving us like a full hour. A month which i don't think it would at this point then maybe we can do it we can map those fields um both ways but um i was looking at it and on the right hand side where it had like we're supposed to say like the legal disclaimer it just said legal stuff <laughs> i was like <laughs> <laughs> i was like i enjoy this
0: thing yeah, i gotta but, say uh that that was one that worked out very well as far as w's and l's in the company you fought hard for hubspot and then the timeline has worked out properly right i mean based on the discount that they originally gave us to get us on board that was slowly weaned away and then we start paying more towards the original price as the time went on everything worked out how we needed to because we made an exception to our allocations in order to do that Saying that this is a necessary tool for growth, and then we chose to do it, and then as the growth happened, it fit within back within our allocations for operating expenses. So. Yeah, it, it's still not like we're still not
1: using it to its full potential for what we're paying for right now. Only because I haven't had the time to go in and like set up those automations because we can. I mean, we can automate ClickUp stuff now. Like there's a direct integration now with that, and then there's a direct integration with Stripe and diving into okay oh well, how can we like i'm sure we could make it work i'm sure we could be like okay generate an invoice for this part of the quote and whatever that whatever product line that creates in stripe that'll just be the onboarding product line or something like that and then all we have to do is generate a new invoice to close out the um the agreement but that sounds like a lot of front-end work that i just don't want to deal with right now yeah, not right now. And so maybe when we do agency use stuff, maybe like we'll have it more streamlined, and we can be like, "This is how we do it. It's so optimal. Look at how crazy cool this is. Look, look at us. Look
0: at us. You
1: guys <laughs> <at> do <laughs> this." <laughs> uh, no, I mean we still do things pretty rudimentary, only because we haven't had the time to to actually get things streamlined. But uh, speaking, of, uh, well, semi-speaking about streamlining things. I wanted to talk about a topic today that I think is kind of hitting the SMMA and agency niche or industry like crazy, and I, I think it has a lot to do with a lot of the gurus out there who are now promoting certain tools, uh, like high level, uh, which are basically like an all-in-one marketing CRM lead flow tracking tool that it, it, it goes along with our one of our previous episodes that we've had, which was like, you know don't build a service off of a software or don't build something in somebody else's playground and so a a big really popular business model and maybe cody this is probably news for you but really popular business model right now is lead generation whether that's through social media or through google or or wherever email
0: marketing (laughs) oh is this all the crypto people that failed and now they're coming back (laughs) (laughs) yeah all the forex traders and okay um
1: so it's lead generation, but it's also following through with those lead generate those lead generation efforts. It's it's collecting the leads, and then making sure to follow up with those leads, usually via like email or SMS, and and tools like High Level have those built in to the actual software to make it really easy. You can create really easy flows, and the creation of these flows and these lead gen efforts uh, are kind of the. The I guess the cultivation of all of the people out there saying that or like promoting their service saying that they built a software that can do this when it's really them just white labeling high level. So I, I know I've mentioned this before in the past that this is super annoying. And I actually had someone on Twitter X reach. I don't think we're ever going to get to a point where we're not saying Twitter and X at the same time.
0: I think it's always just going to be Twitter X. Yeah, I don't. It's not real. I I ignore the whole thing. I never got into Twitter. I mean, I made an account, but just the nature of what it is and how uh, to me, it looks like imploding from the outside. I don't know <laughs> if that's an exaggeration. Uh, I'm dating but. myself.
1: I'm dating myself when I say this, but every time I think of Twitter and like its purpose, I always think of the Andy Milanakis show where he's like, let me Twitter that. Like, <laughs> got some orange juice. Let me Twitter that. Yeah, uh, But. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I only use Twitter because that's where all the cool kids are, I guess. But that's why I'm not there. Yeah, makes yeah. sense. Um, so I, well, I had some. I had a listener reach out to us on Twitter and basically say, like, hey, yeah, in Billy Jean's course, like he's promoting uh a high level and using it like this. I but remember I that. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I, but I didn't get clarification on whether or not Billy Jean was promoting, uh, you know, using high level and saying that you built the software, which building a flow i actually argued with skylar about this on facebook uh, in a a public forum i was like because he he was originally saying that there's nothing wrong with it and i'm like there's absolutely something wrong with it there's nothing wrong with saying you built a flow within high level and you use that service there's nothing wrong with that but i think when you say you built the software
0: there's something definitely wrong with that oh when you built a a software that you're white labeling yeah yeah i think that makes sense yeah I don't think it's that big of a deal in general. I mean, you, I think I agree that you shouldn't do it, but also why does it matter? Is that a selling point that you're out here saying, "I built this. Look at me. I'm so cool." Yeah,
1: and I mean, I think if, if you look like, at it if you look at it deeper, I think the selling point is I built this. If you find this interesting and want to use me, you can't go anywhere else because this software is exclusive to me.
0: Yeah. Which it's not. I mean, you can take your high level stuff anywhere it's just this is it's, to me this is one of it's like uh if this conversation never happened then and i died that'd be fine like it's, it's one of those <laughs> things that it's it's so unimportant in the big scheme of things of like oh did you build this did you not build this is it white labeled is it not white labeled did you say that you did it even though you didn't blow like let's go let's move on to real business. It like, probably uh, doesn't bother
1: you as much because like I see this in like landscaping forums a lot of like these guys are being like, "I built this like lead generation software looking for people to test it out or whatever I'm like, is this just high level white labeled because what I don't want people doing is tricking landscapers into thinking that the only reason the only way they're going to get this c r m or c m s or whatever to, whatever they're using it for is by using this specific person and. True. And it's just annoying for me to deal with.
0: Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. I would guess probably based on the people who say that, maybe 10% of the people have actually built something that they built as opposed to people just saying that they built it. And I can understand because it's nuance. Like I, I still agree with you, but I understand why they would do it. Yeah. I built this. Well, okay, you you built on top of this and you built some things. Like there was a foundation. Somebody else built the foundation. You built the house, right? Well, uh, I mean... Yeah, I mean, maybe it's more like somebody else built built the foundation, and then you purchased the DIY shed that was already prefabricated. <laughs> I thought you are going to say, uh, "You somebody else built the truck, and then you wrapped it." Yeah,
1: the,
0: what, <laughs> oh, that too. I mean, we'll some signage. We'll, we'll go no. with that. Uh, yeah.
1: did, we're detracting from from the main point of the episode, which is the, the purpose, the reason why High Level blew up so much for was for two reasons one is because they have an insane affiliate program and then two they they're they're pretty much an all-in-one thing where like someone like a a, a guru influencer billy jean someone like that can sell courses to one get the affiliate commission from you using high level but also create this flow of like lead generation so it's like taking the traditional marketing approach which is generating leads and then following up and closing those for your clients, which is a business model. I just don't necessarily think it's a great one um, for many many reasons. So the main point of this was, is it a marketer's job to track sales or just leads? And this comes from a Facebook post that I saw in an SMA group. And the question that kickstarted this whole thing off was in case of a service-based company, which is what who we serve where you can't track the conversions through their website which is weird uh you absolutely can uh how can you track how many leads have actually become their paying customers so i think there's a disconnect in this in this in this question here one is you can absolutely track conversions through the website two when they say conversions do they mean like converting to a lead or do they mean like converting to a sale? Because when I talk to landscapers and like actual home service business type people, when they say conversion, they think of from a lead to a sale, which in marketer speak, a conversion is from a a user to a lead. So there's like a different part of that funnel that we're referencing. So <clears throat> I believe this person is using high level or using a tool like that where like they track the leads that way. And they're not able to get the leads from the CMS or from the website to high level. So they can't track that, uh, which is a problem in itself. You should be able to track leads and conversions on the website through a tool like Google analytics or, you know, whatever form submission you're
0: using. Or you need a mutual understanding with the client that you can't, and then you're going to have to measure things differently. And, Mm -hmm. because the first thing that comes to mind when you say this is uh, just based on what this person is asking and how they're posing it. I'm assuming I'm trying not to say yet another very bro thing, because we've had multiple episodes at this point where we've said we've had bro slips. This isn't even a slip. It's just intentional. Um, You're really limiting yourself in business. If you're closing the door to people who uh, you're requiring a certain level of business acumen in order to work with you. Um, People view marketing and by people, I mean clients in different ways, and they're going to choose you for different reasons. And if you're closing the door to everybody except saying that I only work with people who have extreme detail into the profitability of their business and we can work together to track sales and how marketing is directly impacting them. I'm just not to be confused. I'm not saying that's bad. That's kick ass. That's amazing and awesome. And you should absolutely do that with every client that wants to do that. If you're closing the door to clients who don't want to do that, you're major li- limiting yourself in business. Because if you look at our total client roster of clients who are happy with us, too, who like our service, who are happy to pay us, who recommend us, refer us. Right. And then you you look at the number of ones who still do that, but are willing to share with us, um, you know, their year end a fiscal wrap up of what growth they had, where and what the sources were, that sort of thing, so that we can plan for next year. Those people are maybe it's less than 25 percent, if I'm being honest. Um, so there's another 75 percent that you could have that are going to be happy with you if you allow that to happen. So I'm just saying that because wh- what you said about whatever that original question was, it reads like uh, a computer nerd who doesn't Uh, who hasn't actually had a ton of conversations with a different variety of business owners um, because I think that they could be happy with you too. If you're willing to work with them, I say all that and I think everything else that we're going to say is counter to that though, Mm -hmm. partly because (laughs) we, we still agree with that concept. It's good and you should track those things and that's all good stuff to do. I just making sure that you don't limit yourself by people Mm -hmm. who are entirely happy working with you, knowing the limitations otherwise. I think you should have that door still open
1: there's a There's a level of understanding how many leads are being closed, that you're delivering and and knowing every single one of them that closes one is there's a level of of kind of anonymity between the leads that you get from Facebook or Google or whatever, and like what's actually coming up in like you know um through the website or something like that, because Google's not going to share every single conversion and who that person is. So they're going to try to like blur that line, which means you don't know if something came in organically or if something came in through a a specific funnel, like what if they started the funnel, but didn't go through there and they went somewhere else. Like you're, you're losing that visibility. So if you, if you try to track literally every lead that comes in and every sale and try to uh, give attribution to it, you're going to fail and um, there's going to be a lot more things that you're going to have to try to explain that is just not going to uh, pan out very well. Um, but I, I, I wanted to talk more, um, no pun intended, but more high level on
0: on this topic. So many shout outs. I really Dude, I, no. <laughs> I wish I want somebody to reach out. I mean, we, we could, I, but it'd be better, I think, if somebody advocated for us um, to reach out to them and say, hey, have them on. Let's talk to them. Because yeah. we've mentioned them quite a bit, so it would be good to to get more of what they have to say.
1: But yeah, if you guys want someone on the podcast, then you should advocate for us. Because if we do it, it, it just looks like we're just begging. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't look great. So uh, okay, I okay, let's back up. I get this. I get the question a lot. Like, I want to be able to track the leads because that's what's valuable to my client. That's what actually grows their business. Is actually is actually selling the leads Cause what if I just provide a bunch of leads and none of them close? Well, yeah, that is a problem, but I don't think you need to be tracking every single lead and helping your client close that because at some point you're no longer a marketer and you're just a consultant or a sales rep or a high ticket closer. That's all you are. <laughs>
0: <And>, high ticket closer, <laughs> or a low ticket closer, depending on your niche. But the I want to say that every time you say it, not just because I oh, want to make fun of everybody who uses it unironically. We should have a like a little sound effect. <laughs> like, every time I say
1: it, like, high ticket closer. That's good. Save that. <laughs> uh, but so my belief is that it's a marketer's job to deliver leads and not close them. Um, but y- y- you should have a basic level of understanding of what your typical client's close rate is. Um, Not just your individual client, but your niche as well. So if you're not a niche marketer, like you don't have a specific industry niche, then it's probably a little bit more difficult for you to know what those average close rates are. But if you have a niche, which we recommend, um, for us, the landscaping niche is 50%. The close rate is 50%. So if someone gets a qualified lead, it's about 50%. So if we deliver 100 leads in a month, we can assume that about 50 of those sold um actually if you want to get down to it we can assume 25% of them were spam and then the other 50% closed so 50% of 75 closed and and that's generally the number the number's game that we play now there are certain stipulations like in the year 2023 for some reason close rates just plummeted and they were like 30% but it wasn't specific to one like area of the country or one particular type of, of client that offers a certain service it was like all of the united states the close rates dropped 30% and and this was just from feedback from existing clients from all over the country as well as what i was kind of seeing in online forums as well so but being able to communicate that to clients too gave them assurance that yeah you know the leads are harder to close this time around and um but You also have to recognize, too, that the close rate on leads completely varies depending on the medium that you're promoting on, um, the area you're promoting on, and even the client you're working with. Um, For starters, it's not your fault that your client sucks at closing leads. If your client Mm -hmm. is also... I I have clients tell us that their close rate is 90%, which is insane. To me, that just says raise your prices. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then... We have clients that they're like our close rate on Google is like ten percent, which I just don't buy because none of our clients are saying that, and it's so bottom of funnel that there's no way that you're getting a ten percent close rate on Google unless you know
0: you've got a blog post about something you totally local different. service ads and you're paying six dollars a lead or something. Right? Yeah, right. Not to completely crap on them, but <laughs> that's real hit and miss. So, um,
1: when. Clients would come to come to us and say like, hey, I want more leads. I want to like, you know, run on Facebook because we primarily focus on Google. I have to make them aware that this typical close rate for a Facebook lead is like 10%. And and this isn't just us saying that based on our own results. This is also from other industry marketers in the landscaping niche. And, and I'm not just talking about, you know, random pop-up people who, you know, took an Imangaji course and were like, you know, we're getting like 10% close rates because none of them are being honest about their close rates. I'm talking like actual agencies that have been in the game in the landscaping niche for seven to 10 years uh, that we communicate with. And we talked a little bit about this in our last episode, but um, of who those types of people are. But they're, even they're saying like, yeah, Facebook leads aren't that great. Um, we primarily focus on Google because that's what really works in our niche for the type of of service that it is. So I always explain to people that Landscaping and lawn care is a luxury service. No one is scrolling through Facebook looking at cat videos and fail army and then being like, oh, you're right. Maybe I should spend 10 grand on a patio. Like it's just it's very top of funnel. You're going to get people who are price shopping in our industry on Facebook and who don't really who aren't really committed. But when you go to Google and someone says patio installer near me, they're pretty committed um, and, and leads are easier to close then. So all of that to say that we kind of warn our clients in the different mediums that they go into what the average close rate is on those leads. So if they want 10 more leads then they can expect to or 10 more sales, they can expect to get, you know, 100 leads at least that's the goal for them to to get those 10 sales. But um, it's if we had to follow up on all of those leads, it would make our lives hell and it just isn't scalable that way.
0: Yeah, a lot. Uh, there's so much I could go into with this. Um, let's go back and just start with what you said. Is it the marketer's job? No, that's weird. Uh, if for no other reason than closing leads and converting them to sales, that's business, right? That that's mm-hmm. just business, and that's your job if you're on a business, um, and there's a whole spectrum of people who decide to do marketing and outsource their marketing services to an agency. And some of them are good at business and some of them are bad. And some of them have no business experience. Some of them have 30 years and they might, you know, you can be good with zero and bad at 30. Uh, You can't control that. There's nothing you can do about that. I think we got to go back though and talk about performance marketing. Cause that's what this is. And the people that are thinking about this, Um, there's all different categories that people go about doing this. You have, um, paid affiliates, right? Uh, they're selling leads and they're subtracting their costs and they're eating the, you know, not eating, they're keeping the profit. You have ranked rent where people are just arbitrarily deciding what amount to take their GVP listing and sell it for each month. And then skin, you know, white label the website or wherever, wherever they're getting the leads, you see Google sued somebody for that? Oh, really?
1: Yeah. Well, I don't... Uh, I think so. Brutal. Uh, yeah. Well, hold on. Let's look at it real quick.
0: Google sues rank and rent. Well, I think I remember that. I think you said this. Yeah. I think it's going to change people from doing it. But... Search Engine Journal <laughs> talked about it. They said
1: uh, Google sues rank and rent marketer. So, if you're ever... If you're in the rank and rent business model, um, you should probably get out. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um,
1: Last thing. if If I ever got a letter from like Google's legal team, I'd be like, well, I guess it's time to die. I put it on the wall. That's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, well, step one, let's just, let's just put it on the wall before we make
0: any irrational decisions. (laughs) Yeah. I, that's, this is a huge slippery slope. If you want to do performance marketing, I think, and that's it. We, here's the thing. Jake and I, we don't call ourselves performance marketers. We're performance focused. And I think that it's because I wish I could find it. There's this guy, uh, a PPC guy I used to follow. His his agency's in Montana, I think. Um, I'm blanking on his name. There was a Reddit thread where he talked about this, though, an attribution and basically said, like, look, it's a real hot mess. If you want to go down that that slope, be prepared to fight all the way down to the nitty gritty because the second you open that door of is this lead attributed to you directly is it is it 100 percent you directly is this a multi-channel thing is this was this paid traffic but also organic at a different point in time if so are you splitting up the profit that you're receiving are you doing it in a data-driven way what qualifies as a lead if it's a phone call is it 60 seconds is it 90 seconds if it is that duration what if it's not relevant at what point do you say this isn't a qualified lead or this is because this inquiry was relevant or this one ir- was irrelevant and now I've decided that, you know, it doesn't work. If you're doing based on sales, profit sharing of some sort, which we've mentioned before, we do have one client that we do this with. We know them in uh, person. Like they're like an actual friend. We worked with them at an yeah, So like that's the only person we're willing to do it with. Yeah. So that's, yeah, what I was going to say is are, do you trust them, to be completely honest? Because how else are you going to do this? Are you going to check their books every month? Where they they send over what, you know their invoices of what they sent out and what they got paid for. And then you're now going to... You got to be prepared for all that. If you're going down that path of, of attribution. Jake and I are performance focused. We tell people, we are focused on getting you leads in business. And I think that that is... I wrote it down, didn't I? I think I said this past me is usually smarter than present me. So let's see what I said. <laughs> <laughs> um, scientific advertising is the book that this concept comes from. <clears throat> Cheap book. I'm pretty sure you can get it on eBay for less than 10 bucks. Um, just the general idea is that marketing should work, as in it should generate business, and that the business that it generates is profitable. If you're not doing that, if you're marketing and you're losing money, overall from it. I think that's not successful marketing. And I'll go down this path. This will be a tangent. Um, There are places at this point in time, depending on your niche, depending on your market, that are becoming fiscally unviable as marketing channels for certain businesses. And I think it's important to be truthful and honest with clients about those things. We have no shortage of clients. That are just waiting for us to come up with the next thing that's going to work for them we are not the agency that sells a service and then figures it out we figure out the service and then we sell it right so we're now here saying hey yeah you want to run it ad- you want to run reddit ads sure give us your money we'll throw money at it hopefully it works if it doesn't and it's a failure then well sucks doesn't it if we have a conversation and we tell them all of that up front and then they still want to try something or be you know the the guinea pig for that sort of thing we're open to that but we're not leading with this we're not brand new saying hey we've got this awesome thing it's totally amazing check it out you'll run it you'll love it and then it totally flops right we've talked about that before we did the rainmaker and it didn't work and then we learned from that (laughs) there's a lot of people out there who are like um who are
1: hearing kind of rough snippets of how other people have run ads on certain platforms like um you know the secret to twitter ads or or something like that like i generated my client like 600 leads in a month off of this twitter ad and then like they show the ad or whatever and then people are trying to like copy that right away and then selling that basically like oh this ad does extremely well because of what somebody else said on the internet for their nature whatever they did and I think that's what gets a lot of people to to realize that a lot of this stuff that you hear online about things working and not working is just, it's either just full of lies or it's it's very specific to that one person situation. Mm-hmm. And they're also maybe not being totally honest about what constitutes as a lead. I see this all the time. I see screenshots of like Google ads and they're like, they're like, we generated like 2,000 leads for our client in a month. And they're not one, not specific about the niche. Or they might even say the niche, but they don't. They don't tell you what defines a conversion. Yeah, their, like conversion, their conversion trigger, page view. Yeah, yeah I would say their conversion <laughs> trigger could have been a page view, and like they're getting conversions for like two cents, and it's like, well, <laughs> like, like if you're not specific about the actual conversion type, like ours is a form fill or an email or a phone call, and those are pretty impactful conversions. So, if if you're if what you're constituting as a lead is you know somebody landing on a page, then mm-hmm. uh, that's... Uh, it, it's it's a way to make yourself look good on the front end, but if the client's ultimately not getting leads, like actual leads that they can call, then that's a problem.
0: Look, uh, we want to believe it too. We want to believe that those things are real, and that we can do it and that it'll work. And we talk about mutual profitability with our clients. We also have mutual frustration. There are clients <laughs> who... Yeah, they want us to figure out the next thing that we can so that we can sell it to them. And they're kind enough to wait around while we figure out the next tier for them to do whatever thing it is, because and not all of them. Some of them just say, "Okay, well, I'll. But the thing is, that's why part of our agency is unique is because most agencies don't do that. Most of them are doing the we'll sell it and then we'll figure it out. And then if it flops, well. It's on you because you signed up for it. Right. We we had a client leave us because we, we, they wanted to do more with SEO. And we're
1: like, we don't have a higher SEO package. I mean, we can, we could do more for you, but we can't guarantee that it's going to do anything in terms of results. Um, and it's not, I think it's something that he respected, but it's not way he wanted to hear. Um, of course. He, right. Yeah. Who he wants to hear, to hear that? You wanted to hear, I'll pay you more money, get me more results with the SEO. And we're just like, we'll take more money, but like we can't guarantee more results because there's nothing that we've like actually tested. And I wanted to explain this. I was going to write a post about this, that um, there's a lot of people out there. This is a ta- this is a tangent listener, but there's a lot of people out there who are. This will be the or, tangent episode. I'm fine. I got more things yeah. I want to hit
0: too. keep going.
1: Yeah, so do I. Um, th- there's there's a, a lot of people out there who are like $1,000 a month isn't going to get you much for SEO. And I was like, well, I disagree. And what I want to illustrate is that for 500 bucks a month, you can get 50% of the total 100% SEO value out there for local service businesses, because there really isn't that much. Local service SEO is easy. And you can for like maybe for a thousand bucks, you can get ninety percent of the SEO value. And what I mean by that is like five hundred dollars is like the foundational SEO—the H ones, H twos, page titles, alt text, things like that. Google Business Optimization, and then the other five hundred dollars. Maybe now now you're up to a thousand. Now if, for the extra forty percent. So that first fifty percent. So see so yeah, how it kind of scaled down there for a second and went from fifty percent value to like forty percent. Maybe it's like thirty percent. You know, so. The total, if you're spending a thousand dollars, you're getting eighty percent SEO value. Um and and uh, that thirty percent is more work than that previous fifty percent because now we're talking about optimizing like citation pages, like uh, Yelp and uh, being mm, Manual and verifications, claimings, yep. etc. Um, it's also blog posting. Um, it's a lot more work than that f- initial fifty percent. Then you've got the latter twenty percent. You've got like that that eighty to hundred percent of SEO value, which is going to be like an additional thousand dollars a month. Blogging and, and yeah. well. Uh, I put blogging kind of in that 30%, but that remaining 20%, that's like, f- to me, that's like geo tagging images. That's like, ah, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's like schema markup for like a bunch of different bullshit, um, that you just don't necessarily need. Um, that's, oh, I can't even, I can't even think I had a whole laundry list of this cause I was going to comment on somebody's status. And, um, but I'm like, that's, that's all that crap. Oh, uh, Google stacking. I'm like, that's all that crap. Yeah, okay, like okay. <laughs> and that's not even verifiable that that even works. So you can spend $500 and get 50% value, or you can spend $2,000 or $2,500 and get like 80% to a hundred val- or, you know, a hundred percent value. Um, and then in the middle, you can spend a thousand bucks and get 80% of the value. So it's like, there's a there is a point, and we say this all the time with ads. There's a point of diminishing returns when it comes to paying for SEO. And when I see people out there a lot saying that a hundred percent of or, or like you, it's it's hard to get anything for less than a thousand dollars in SEO. That's not true at all. I mean, if you if if the service scales with the the price that you're paying for, you can absolutely get a lot of value in a low cost SEO, provided you're in the home services niche and unfortunately i feel like this was a, a fantastic podcast episode on its own just this tangent on on <laughs> seo and value and and maybe we'll we'll do it again with a different title so people
0: will actually listen to it but we leave it up to the listeners too if you like one of our tangents you want us to keep going let us know
1: yeah so anyways so that was a tangent i don't know i don't even know how i got on that i think it was like i don't know defining services or paying for services. Well,
0: I'm, I want to keep going with it because I want to explain <laughs> to people media buying. Okay. I, I want people to understand this. I feel Because bad. clients feel, don't get it. I feel bad for that tangent. But... <laughs> that was good. Go ahead. Uh, okay. So I mentioned before how media buying... So Jake was talking about this. SEO becomes... It can become unprofitable at a certain point. You have to define your point of diminishing returns. Media buying is the same thing. And... When you're looking at different platforms, so when I say platforms, I mean google, Facebook, I mean, throw them all out there uh, there's so many um Bing propeller ads uh ad mob is that that's just google um it just it doesn't matter quora, reddit, uh Tumblr, go find them twitch, youtube, whatever those are all platforms as platforms develop and progress and mature. They get more expensive and they don't get more expensive for no reason. They get more expensive because they they become more popular. Eventually they reach what people will generally call tier one platforms. Google is a tier one platform. Facebook is a tier one platform. This is a made up word. There's no clear definition. People will just say them and it's a vague thing. It's almost like a buzzword. Tier one platforms are expensive. Everybody's there. If you can make them work, that's amazing and awesome because they have the best quality of traffic if you reach a point on those tier one platforms where the competition is too high and it just becomes too expensive. I think I've mentioned this before. I used to do um, PPC for a lawyer that was, or I, I didn't do it. This was an audit that I did. They're paying a hundred bucks to barely hang on to the fourth position of page oh, one, hundred bucks a click, hundred bucks a click. Yeah. And I just told them, get out, stop it. This, this isn't viable for you anymore. I mean he wasn't like personal injury or something. If he was, I'm sure. There's <laughs> like some kind of lawyer's like, That's great. I love it. I make four hundred thousand dollars on a Was a it like a divorce attorney or something? I don't remember. I can't remember now. Could be. But anyway, so when that happens, you have to start looking at the next platforms. And what you do is you just in my opinion, you start looking you go to the next tier of quality. Because platforms can have Varying levels of quality of traffic to complete garbage to really solid. I remember Reddit early on, last time I ran Reddit ads, very engaged. Had good like user engagement on the people that actually clicked through. Um, when you go to those platforms, you have to gauge that, of course, the quality of the traffic. You're going to have maybe some click fraud or whatever, especially the the second and third tier sort of thing where you're not even sure if this is real humans clicking on these ads That's one thing. But the other thing then is your cost per acquisition. You're weighing that against what you're paying because if you have garbage, like Jake was saying about Facebook, there's a lot of tire kickers on Facebook, even though it's tier one, it's okay to have garbage traffic if the cost is low enough. And if the client is willing to wade through the garbage, if you have a 10% close rate on Facebook, but you're getting leads at five bucks, it's 50 bucks a lead you have to throw away nine. If it's still worth it for them, because on Google you're paying 200, then in that case, it might be worth it. I mean, just the math says that that's a good option to do, but you have to be the one to determine the viability of the platforms. It doesn't matter where you're at or where you're going. Like no matter what platform you're on, you're going to be doing that weighing of measuring out. Is this going to be a viable platform to offer as a service to? Can I market this? And you You don't have to. You can be like every other agency out there that sells it and then figures it out. Hey, we offer this, right? Then the client signs up and then you figure it out. And, you know, most likely not going to be great. You might get lucky. um, But I think you're going to be much better off if you figure it out first, determine your viable platforms and then go sell it for as long as they are viable. I think it.
1: I think a lot of people the I think I think the main reason why people sell leads versus like actually doing like marketing on a particular platform for a specific niche is because I, that's like their offer their value like I will provide these leads you will close sales or you don't you do have to pay or something like that and I think that's it's a unique value proposition for for the time it's going to get very old very soon though um because people are kind of catching on that like hey it doesn't really work as well as it, it did in the in the course that you took um and i what's what the, the biggest challenge that you're going to run into and, and i wish i would have said this earlier earlier in the episode to catch everybody who might have dropped off early but the biggest challenge that you're going to have with the the lead model and closing those leads and tracking those is that every client that you have is going to use a different crm if they don't have a crm great they're like a prime fit for you because then you can build them on your own lead tracking, CRM, high level, whatever you're using and 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 put that all there. Then they're like, you know, basically tied to you. But any client who is making more than 300000 a year is going to have their own CRM. They're going to have... Like in our industry, they're going to be on like a jobber. They're going to be on a yard book. They're going to be on a service autopilot. And your system has to play nice with theirs. And I hate to break it to you, but using tools like Zapier are just not going to cut it because like tools like Zapier or Bridge or things like that, they always have connectivity issues. And and you're going to start trying to become like a back-end developer, trying to figure this some, some of the stuff out. So if it doesn't have a native integration, then that's going to be kind of a problem. And no one is going to want to switch over to your platform or duplicate efforts. And by duplicate efforts, I mean... If someone fills out a lead form on the website, they don't want the lead form to also have to be entered into high level or wherever you're taking it. And then also again, in their CRM, if they want a lead to be followed up with, they would like that lead to be followed up with on their CRM because they're going to want that historical data in there. And, and that's going to be a huge problem that you're going to run into with this kind of business model. We run into this problem now as marketers. Because everybody wants to have their CRM's embedded form on their website. And if we can't track that form submission in Google Analytics, we can't even tell them if we drove a lead off of our Google Ads efforts, let alone like know who that lead was. Yeah, everybody so, wants to do an iframe. Yeah. So um it's one of the reasons like we only promote two CRMs in our entire industry, and that's service autopilot and copilot. Service autopilot only because it's the only one that allows us to do the tracking that we need to do. It's not very good, but they do allow us to do some version of it. And then um, co-pilot because we're actually working with the owner of it to develop that tracking capability.
0: So um, I feel if- like this is a little circular because the the what you deduce from this is you saying, okay, well, I need to control everything. And then if I control everything, don't I use high level don't i use a platform that allows me to control everything i think that what we're saying is yeah if you want to if you're prepared to do that if you're prepared to stifle your growth
1: because you're going to hit a point into which the the number the amount of clients who are willing to to use your platform versus one that's already established in their business is going to start getting smaller Um, i guess the flip side is that's a niche though maybe yeah that's true early yeah, well, on skyler does this i don't i don't know if he uses i don't know if he follow i don't think he follows up with the leads i don't think he closes them but they do use high level um episode 42 uh if you guys want to listen to skyler talk about his business but um they do they do track the leads using high level I don't, I don't think they use the follow-up feature though um and then their clients can use their own crm but they also do a lot of like hvac and appliance repair and they got a lot of really small businesses that um that pay them for those services and i think businesses that are you know don't even have their own crm so in some niches i think it could work really well but i think or it could at least work a little bit but not to the full extent of controlling everything within you know your own system i just think it's a really hard business model to scale in general
0: because now you've got to train people on like following up and you know Death. Yeah, I think you're fighting things that are especially hard to fight. You're uh, you're fighting people who are established in their ways and they aren't wanting to change their ways. They're wanting a solution that cooperates with their ways. And mm. that's that's good. That's tough to get people. That's the hardest part of any ask any venture back startup. What the hardest part is it's early adoption. Right. How do we get the early adopters so that we can get momentum so that later on everybody's going, yeah, of course we use Stripe. Everybody uses Stripe. Well, who is using Stripe at the beginning of Stripe? That's what you're fighting if you're going to go that route. So, yeah, I think a really good episode to listen to is,
1: uh, it was like four or five episodes ago. Um, was Oh, it was uh, episode 77. It says why we don't use high level. And this is the reason is because we don't want to be constrained to a software. We want to build the service first. And if the software works within the service, great. But if it doesn't, then we're not going to use it. And so, high level is not required for us to use in our service offerings at all. In fact, no tool is. We don't. We don't need. Besides, like you know, native ones like Google Ads and things like that. We don't need any tools to to execute our services. And um, and then if you listen to our episode that just came out this week, well, I guess two weeks ago, uh at the time of listening to this with Tim Solo, like he he completely disagrees with
0: us. <laughs> on, on not needing software to execute services yeah. i was gonna say by all means prove us wrong right i mentioned before that one time i applied to a hubspot agency that's what they did they did hubspot mm-hmm. their their entire platform they're 100 percent there for the hubspot kool-aid and i, I was working get, for them i want to get a
1: hubspot like diamond agency on the podcast and have them talk to us about their business model because i want to ask them the questions like what do you do if like like what what are some of your threats Like HubSpot Mm -hmm. going under? Like what, you know, what, you know, where do you, obviously that's probably not going to happen for a very long time, but you know, where do you pivot from there?
0: Yeah, we've, it, it is. So we, we are not in the control everything crowd by doing a white label situation. We more so we're somewhere in the middle, right? We, we do require some, adoptions for the things that we do we give the client most of it right we build most google tools for the client and then give it to them We build their website which they then own uh but there are some things that we are looking at further developing so we do have more control over everything but not really at the price point that we need yet so that's why these are just further upsells right i think um recent ones we've repeatedly talked about call rail um as being a, a standardized solution at an upper tier for different clients, um, just not at our current baseline. And uh, another one being, or or we would just raise the baseline, right? We raise the minimum cost in order to incorporate that. Or um, other things that we've looked into recently, like enhanced conversions from Google um, and just... <laughs> After looking through that, trying to measure, is this one of those things like, is this the future? Everybody's going to have to do this pretty soon. Or is this something that, I mean, this is one that Jake shared with me and I looked through it. And after all the coding that was necessary and all these different things, I just thought, man, this isn't, um, I don't think that this is something that's standard for $2,000 a month clients is hand coding JavaScript conversions for, for one platform, let alone people paying 500. But maybe it is in the future. Um, so it's something that's still on our minds and, and that's part of the, we don't control everything, but it gives us enough control to do what we need to, as far as tracking goes, because we do care about leads, but, um, as far as, as closing them, nah, that's up to the client. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I, I,
1: I like the, that you brought up the, um, javascript thing with enhanced conversions because there i mean there's yeah there's a point on, on which you need to define a service that's mutually profitable and viable for both and if we start implementing these things because of a gut feeling despite like it not having any real ramifications or benefit right now then um it's probably something you shouldn't do and that's just having like business acumen and and understanding business versus kind of you know, just being like the best marketer in the world, and I mean, McDonald's doesn't make the best burgers in the world. They, but they produce them at scale at an affordable rate, in which they blow five star steak restaurants out of the water
0: in terms of. Revenue. I hope somebody's so. super offended. I hope somebody's like, "What? How well, dare you, no, sir?" I think first of these all, these burgers I, are top tier. I
1: do think McDonald's burgers are top tier. <laughs> I know we're talking about this. I love one. McDonald's. <laughs> Uh, i love, I love about this that, cause i'm like the i'm like the entrepreneur guy that wakes up like 5 a.m and goes running and like you know does all this and i'm like dude mcdonald's slaps
0: don't ever talk bad about mcdonald's was that a did we have the conversation on here where you were like look they're delicious i'm like they're not and you like you have to admit that they taste good i'm like <laughs> i really don't think that they're that good they're I, I think it was on here i
1: hope so but but yeah they are it's, it you, doesn't, you, doesn't you know slap I, hard for me i I do understand this though, like I do actually enjoy Burger King burgers and Burger King food, and i and i people say like they hate it and it's the worst food and i I can see that because it does Burger King does have a specific a unique taste to it. I just happen to enjoy it. do you like sesame it, seeds on buns? I think so. I think it's like a little it's like confetti it's like it's like it's like sprinkles on ice cream, but it's like you know, sprinkles on a burger. Yeah. Sprinkles on bread, <laughs> you know, because they're, they're tasteless. Like you're not going to taste sprinkles on ice cream. You just don't. Yeah. And so like when people are like, do you like sprinkles? Like, no, you, you just like the way it looks and you like the texture.
0: Okay. I think ask me. I think,
1: ask me. Do you like sesame seeds on burgers?
0: Thank you, Jake. Good question. <laughs> uh When I was a kid, I remember the first time I got one because we went to Burger King and we were usually McDonald's family. I looked at it. I think I cried. I was just like, "Mom, what is happening? What did they do to the bun?" Because so, <laughs> I was just so deep into the, the McDonald's Kool Aid, <laughs> I wouldn't eat it. And then she she was very nice, and she scraped it off for me. All um, the sesame seeds, yeah. It was just yeah. like like filleting the burger. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fish, but it's a burger. So we're just she's <laughs> peeling off, like skinning the top. Do, but, doesn't uh, McDonald's Big Mac have sesame seeds? I, it's been so long since I've had. Either at this point, that sure I don't... there's that there's that song, right? Like it does, it does have that, you know. Oh, it, it does, yeah, it does.
1: Is it something a premium thing? He uses pickled tomato. What
0: is is it a premium thing? Is that no, what it's, they're no, trying just, to? Oh man, I don't know. Maybe
1: yeah, there's so anyway. a, always, it always reminds me of that Mitch Hedberg skit where he's like, What exactly is a sesame? <laughs>
0: <laughs> 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 he's like, It's a way you open doors. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually do like sesame seeds on buns. I think that's fun. Now, I got over it at some point in time between me crying as a kid. It's the
1: sprinkles on ice cream but on a burger.
0: It sprinkles on a burger. Speaking of which, we
1: made cheeseburgers last night and we had 2 pounds of of ground beef and I was like and Lauren's like, "Yeah, you can just like make 1 pound and that'll be f- uh four burgers and then you can like just like brown the rest and give it to the dogs because it was expired th- today or it was like today was like the last day to eat it." And I was like, "No." I'm gonna make eight burgers, and I'm gonna save them for tomorrow. Guess what I have uh, in the fridge for today? Uh, four burgers. Four burgers. I'm gonna eat them. I'm what? Have, what kind of buns you got? They're just regular buns, regular like great value Walmart buns. Those she has right? she has fancy gluten free buns because she has some kind of disease. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> what is the? I don't even know where you buy, if you wanted to to have your sprinkles on your buns, where you go to buy sesame seed you can, buns. You can get sesame them? seed buns at the store, yeah, at Walmart. They're just there next to the normal buns, the, sure. the vanilla I mean,
1: buns. The gluten-free buns are right next to the normal buns. Sesame seed buns, Walmart. Look. I don't buy yeah. enough. Pepperidge Farm has sesame seed buns. Oh, okay. I can pick it up today. Curbside at Walmart.
0: All right. Okay this just goes to show how much i eat more rice over that's the splay right you have rice versus bread i am lately i've had toast but i'm usually a rice guy i eat too much rice i hope people who aren't listening
1: to this in the us who don't have a Walmart are like man i want to move to the i want to move to the us now you
0: can pick up sesame seed buns curbside <laughs> i want going to email us a picture of them eating their sesame burger yes from mcdonald's sesame just kidding. it can be on, from anywhere yeah.
1: but i want to see it yeah I, yeah i'd be really happy uh all right we should end this before we start talking about something weird. Uh too late. That was <laughs> weird. All right. All right everybody. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. See ya.